Tiger by the Tail, VHS Rewinder, the start of multi-site. Today on The Pursuit, Rich Birch. Welcome back to The Pursuit, unfiltered conversations with faith leaders about their journey to pursue God. I'm your host, Richard Lee, and I'm so excited because our guest today is Rich Birch. Rich has been an expert in the church leadership space for many, many years. He's the host of the Unseminary podcast, which you should subscribe to like right now. But he found himself quite by accident at the beginning of the multi-site church movement while on staff at the Meeting House in Toronto. And he's been on leadership staff with Liquid Church in New Jersey with Tim Lucas and Connexus Church in Ontario with Carrie Newhoff. But Rich's course for church leadership was almost derailed by a comment in a board meeting at his first job in a church. So, Rich, good to see you. Hey, I am so glad to be here. I feel I can t- tell my mom I finally made it because I'm on the Pursuit podcast. <laughs> I have peaked, actually. This- how long have, has your Unseminary podcast been going on? Well, it depends on how you count it. So, we started in 2013, um, okay. fall of 2013. So, that's we're going on five and a half years. Um, I think we're, I stopped counting, but we're 300 and some odd episodes in which is, is a lot of conversation. And so, that but is. just love it. I just, you know, I'm a church wonk. Like I could talk to church leaders, obviously I could talk to church leaders all day long. And so yeah. I just love talking to people and and hearing their story, hearing what, trying to mine out stuff that's, you know, kind of God's using. And so. Who was your first guest? My first guest was Carrie Newhoff, which was great. Well, look at that. Yeah, it was great. Now was Carrie Newhoff, carrynewhoff.com back then? He was, he hadn't started a podcast yet. So it was kind okay. of pre-podcast. His podcast really is what, what took it off and yeah he was blogging and was doing speaking and all that but um it was kind yeah. of carrie newhoff before he was carrie newhoff but and then i was jenny katrin and i had a bunch of really early great um guess what? a ton of great guests the whole time when you decided to start this podcast on seminary tell us a little bit what's the purpose behind this on seminary yeah so one of my convictions has been as a church leader it actually goes back to when i was in college i uh, remember talking to a a prof and i i was this idea kind of haunted me. And it's still actually for a lot of ways, I still think about it. I I was asking him about revival. I said, what happens in revival? Is it that God seems to love people in a certain time, in a certain place more? And so his spirit moves and tons of people come to know him. Or is it that the leaders at that time, they kind of unlocked some sort of human wisdom, some they were good marketers, and then it just kind of spread. There was kind of this viral spread. And obviously, both of those are dissatisfying, right? Because it's not like, I don't think God, <laughs> God really actually loves a certain people in a certain place more, and, and so he chose to move more there. And and I don't think that it's all just purely, you know, kind of just ideas, just kind of just come up with great, you know, great communication process. And you can see lots of people come to know Jesus. God could reach the whole world if we just had better marketers. Exactly. If we just figured out Facebook, the Facebook algorithm. (laughs) And so, but really what that got me on, which has really been almost like a lifelong journey so far, has been really noticing that a lot of churches are held back by Mm. really simple things that like, they're not held back by theology. Typically they're not held back by, you know, stuff they teach in seminary. And so, and you hear that all the time from church leaders where they're like, well, they didn't teach me this in seminary. And so the, the goal really from the beginning has 
has been how do I help churches with the stuff they don't teach in seminary, the kind of, whether that's communications or leadership stuff or, you know, whatever, uh, to try to help their churches be more effective. Although the, the, the nub of it has really all, has always been about growth and reaching people and seeing people connect with Christ and that sort of thing. It, it's been about all those individual pie- pieces. Well, now let's go back. Where did you grow up and how did you become a Christian? Gr- uh, great question. So, uh, born in, so I'm Canadian. Don't hold it against me. Am I the first Canadian on your podcast? Uh, I think so. So, uh, Born and raised in Canada and in Ontario, and my dad was upwardly mobile, and so he <laughs> he spent his whole career as uh, it was in a series of of different positions at a bunch of different kind of automotive parts companies. So, oh wow! So my dad was kind of the guy, the Mister Fix It guy. So he would go into these companies that were doing very well, and his thing was go in and basically make them you know more profitable. Um, you know, he was a little bit of the like, you know, we're going to slash these 15 roles and we're going to, you know, rearrange stuff and organize things and process management and all that. And so, you know, I, as a kid, I didn't really, I, you know, I didn't really appreciate that, but it's a pretty amazing kind of career. But that meant we were literally moving every 18 months to two years. So wow. we literally, I went to, uh, I think five different elementary schools or grade schools. I went to three different high schools. We were moving quite a bit. And so wow. we were, as a family, uh, as a kids, we were brand loyal to a mainline denomination. Um, and we would move into a new town and they, my parents would just kind of pick the one that was closest to us. Like it was a bit of that kind of parish model, right? Like, well, this is the one that's closest. So we're going to go there. And an inciting instance was uh, the minister at our church ended up having an affair with another minister. And yep. that ended up, you know, it was kind of a shock for my parents. They're like, whoa, this is terrible. And yeah. we were moving, you know, we were, again, it wasn't very long. Oh, shocker, six months later, we're moving again. We moved to a new town and they said, you know what, instead of us just kind of joining the local kind of brand that we're a part of, maybe we should look around a bit more. And so we ended up at this <laughs> great Presbyterian church. And at the time I didn't know this, but it was, you know, I wouldn't have the words articulate that. I don't know, I'm not even sure my parents did, but it was an evangelical Presbyterian church. I remember as a kid, this is like, okay. I'm in, you know, grade eight at this point. And we say eighth grade down here, eighth grade in America. Let me translate. That's eighth grade. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, I remember the minister, my two impressions early on were like the minister, two things. He read the Bible like it was true, which was the first time I heard that. Like, <laughs> wow. He would, he would talk about it like, oh, like this is actually real, which was a new experience. And then I remember them like, well, they pray a long time. And like in their services, they would do, which now I know is like the pastoral prayer thing. They would, you know, it was kind of a long prayer. And so, and God got a hold of our whole family there. That was there that, you know, that we ended up, we all ended up becoming Christ followers and, um, you know, started following Jesus and had a huge impact. There was a guy in, when I was in, uh, you know, freshman year in high school, a guy who I had made a decision for Jesus. And this guy, Richard, great guy, Rick Pete, friend of mine, he said, Hey, like I'd love to hang out and talk about Jesus, and we could, you know, kind of grow together, read scripture, and we ended up spending um, one evening a week together for an entire year. Which, when I look back at that, I think that's crazy. Like, wow. just the, you know, the amount of discipleship, and it was, it was one of those beautiful friendships that was. It was more than discipleship. Like we were doing, literally doing life together. And he was, you know, he was obviously older than me. He was kind of mid twenties at that time, a little bit, you know, heading towards yeah. late twenties. And we spent a lot of time, ate a lot of frozen yogurt, and talked a lot about <laughs> Jesus. And it, you know, had a huge impact. And so I was one of those kids that in high school thought, 
thought like, oh, maybe I'd like to go into ministry someday. So then tell me about your decision to go into ministry. Yeah. So I, uh, I was naive as a high school student and I was like, you know, I respect as, as high school students are one, exactly. Basically. And so, <laughs> you know, I just, I looked up to George thought, you know, he was, I, I looked up to all these ministry people like, man, those guys are amazing people. And I'd like to do that. And so I made a decision to say, yes, I'm going to go into ministry. And so I, at that point, we're in the Christian Missionary Alliance and they have, um, you know, they have kind of their own schools, right? And so their school is in, at the time was in Regina, Saskatchewan, which if you've never... I can guarantee none of your listeners have been to Regina, Saskatchewan. <laughs> none uh, of them. <laughs> and if you've been there, it is it's uh, it's an amazing place. Like it's you can watch your dog, you know, run away for days. It's in the plains, it kind of cold, <laughs> middle of nowhere. I went and visited, and I'm like, I don't think I can do this. Um, and so, is it Montana? Is it's, it? It would be, yeah, it would be like Montana, but colder and more desolate. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's not quite Siberia, but it's heading in that in that direction. And so, yeah, I, I so I went to a school in Toronto called Tyndale, great school. And so, did an undergrad ministry stuff, actually Christian education for trivia buffs, and um, because I I knew I was like, oh, I'm not sure I necessarily want to be a lead pastor. Like I, I even at that point, I was like, I'm not sure. Yeah. And so I did this internship under a guy by the name of Laird Crump, fantastic leader oh, with a terrible name. Laird Crump. Um, and he would say that. Laird Crump. He would say that if he was, yeah, like Lard Cramp. It, <laughs> he's a great guy, incredible leader. And he, I kind of landed there out of, I, I, there was a lot of apathy in ministry school, I felt like there's a lot of guys I who were, and people who were there who didn't really, weren't really showing any, any initiative. And he, he just happened to show up and was doing like kind of an open house thing around internships. And so I was, I'm him and a friend of mine, Scott, we were like, well, we'll, we'll intern at your church. And so ended up there, but, and this is, so I'm a couple of years in at this point and I started to watch what he does. And I had this sinking sensation. I was like, Oh, wait a second. I'm not sure I'm nice enough to be a pastor. <laughs> I, I would watch him like talk to people and like interact with people and like like the amount of time he spent with folks and that and I was like, oh no, I think I've picked the wrong thing. Like I'm not that guy. Like I hold on. So because like I can laugh about it now because I obviously know you right. and know your career, but at the moment. Like you were actually thinking, I can't do this any longer. Yeah, it was. Well, I, I, so I probably the way I would have articulated at the time was something like, I do feel a sense of call to ministry. Like okay. I do feel like this is the kind of thing I should do, but I'm a little bit perplexed on what I should do. I, at this point had only like the largest church I'd ever been in was, was probably 300 people. I had seen the kind of traditional, like, lead pastor, what at the time they would call like associate pastor, youth pastor. And so I was like, well, I guess right. I'll be a youth pastor. Right. And so there was like, a, I'm not really sure what to do. At the same time, I like I had had this um, growing love of an interest in marketing and like business stuff. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to actually, I don't know if you can identify this, but it took me a long time to like ask my dad for leadership advice, but I always was kind of intrigued by what my dad did. Yeah. It sounds like he was an executive pastor for these, yeah. you know, car parts stores. Exactly. It, it was, it's very true. And, and so I, that I found interesting. And so I ended up kind of having these like dual interests where I would be like, oh, I'm not so sure. And so 
the few years, like I think for so many people when they first get out of school are, you know, it was like, you're trying to find yourself. So like, what am I going to do? And so I was a youth pastor at a Christian Missionary Alliance church while at the same time had a side hustle before it was called a side hustle, was doing <laughs> a, actually a, a buddy of mine from school and then a friend of his. We founded a business. We started a business that was, um, we were a, a content aggregator. So this is, so now we're talking late 90s. This is like 96. Okay. And so, so was doing that on the side and trying to be a youth pastor, which, you know, obviously was like a little bit weird, <laughs> you know, and had a, a fair amount of kind of inner conflict. I would say there was like three or four years of just trying to figure out, figure out what I'm supposed to do, you know, you know, how am I supposed to lead and what does that look like? And, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, I was young and naive and thought, you know, as a youth pastor, like I it was definitely looking back on it. I had kind of the Pied Piper approach to youth ministry where I was like, <laughs> hey, I'm just going to, you know, kind of gather a bunch of kids around me and had some early on success. Like we, we did this annual event. We did this outreach event on Good Friday. We had like 600 kids show up to it. Wow. And we did, it was like, you know, I look back on it. I'm like, man, we took on so much risk and <laughs> stupid stuff you do when you're a young person. But that wasn't really well received. And I don't want to speak ill of that you know, that church, but it wasn't, sure. you know, it wasn't, I remember, in fact, actually, it's interesting. It's one of those things, you know, how when you're a young leader, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but when you're a young leader, sometimes there's leaders who are a generation or two above you and they say something to you and it like echoes in your soul and you hear it time and time again. Mm. And uh, there was a guy who was on our board who at the time, not just referring to me, but actually to, also to another staff member. And, you know, they said to our lead guy, kind of chastising our lead guy and said, you know, you've got tigers by the tail over there with those staff ears. Wow. And I didn't know really what that meant. Like I was like, <laughs> is that good or is that right, bad? Right. I don't know. Like even now to this day, I'm really not sure whether he thought, meant that as a positive thing or not, but it had negative overtones to it. And so long story short, I ended up, um, ended up out of the ministry and then ended up doing this internet thing full time. Ended up, okay. you know, engaging in that. Now, did you get out of the ministry because of like how you got your hand slapped by the church and like, this is all my gifts to bring people into the church. And then you get your hand slapped and being like, I just don't know where I fit here. Yeah. I think it was a bit of awkward fit. Like, I'm just not sure. And it wasn't like, it wasn't really a one for one. I think it was more like I saw like, oh, there's some opportunity over here. Yeah. It was growing, you know, that business grew to the point where we had like 40 staff and like, there was all this kind of stuff going on. And so I was like, well, and, and we were, you know, it was classic. It was the dot-com boom, right? Like yeah. this is now we're in like 2000 and there was lots of like, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25. Like that kind of stuff was in yeah. the air. So there was like, it was definitely, it felt like a season of opportunity, but basically we made three fatal errors that we didn't know at the time. Um, if we made one of them, we probably would have been okay. Mm. But all three of them ended up, and then one of them was was obviously then the, you know, the kind of the funding bubble burst and yeah. the market dried up and the valuation on all that stuff went away. So how many years were you in that? Well, so that was from 96 to... The bubble burst. Yeah, till the bubble burst in 2000. Yeah. But then about half of that, I was doing both. So it was a couple of years. Like it was... Okay. And then, you know, basically the bubble burst and then we were trying to figure out what to do and I was still kind of hurt from what had gone at that church. And so... I was like, you know what, there's a, I know there's a, f a friend, an acquaintance of mine who had started at a church 
kind of one town over and I knew they were growing. And so I was like, well, let's just go there. And it deliberately went there because I knew it was fast growing. And I was like, I'm, we're just going to sit in the back seat and just like not do anything. Like, I don't, I don't want to serve. I don't, I just want to, yeah. I knew he was a good communicator. And so, and had a very distinct, like, I'm not, we're just not going to get engaged at all. Well, that just was not exact opposite of what happened. Like we got, you know, plugged in and, you know, kind of in a short period of time, ended up, this is the meeting house, what became the meeting house in, right. in Toronto. And when you say we, this is you and Christine. Yeah. You, my soul, I was married. We got married in 96. And so mm-hmm. we, um, you know, ended up there and got, pulled in, um, you know, ended up on their board, ended up kind of one thing led to another, ended up on staff. What was your role on staff? Your first role? The first role was out, was title was outreach pastor. And the, the thinking was basically managing the front end of like, how do we get people connected to the church and, or how do we get them interested in the church all the way through to connection, kind of through what we would say would be kind of guest services, that, that part of what we were doing. Yeah. But then quickly what happened was that kind of all got overtaken by multi-site. Um, basically what had happened was kind of rolling the clock back a little bit was we were growing, we were in a school and the typical kind of middle school thing, we were at, at that point, Bruxy, who's a great communicator, incredible communicator, he was preaching for about an hour, hour and 10 minutes, sometimes hour and 15 minutes every Sunday. Wow. And, you know, rapid growth. And, you know, there was, uh, at the time, we were meeting in the kind of drama room. <laughs> and uh, we went from one service to two services. The church was really reticent to go to three services, partly because Brux couldn't, you can't preach for three and, yeah. you know, three and three quarters hours every Sunday. Like, that's just, it doesn't work. And so there was a guy, this guy, Rob, who was a volunteer who said, you know, I'm a, he, he had a, a a wedding video business. And he said, why don't I take this camera and put this camera in the back of the room and we'll just run a cord out to a TV. You know, like they used to have (laughs) the TVs with the giant strap on it on the like rolling cart, one of those and said, we'll just put this out in the, in the foyer. And when people come on a Sunday, we'll tell, we'll ask our volunteer people to kind of hang back, wait for their building, the room to fill up. And if, if, you know, they kind of wait for a couple songs or whatever, and then they can get their seat. And so what happened was we, with that, like, basically we ended up always having people standing out there. And so it moved from there to a classroom, from the classroom to a teacher's lounge, from the teacher's lounge to a cafeteria. And it was at the point where we had more people sitting in the cafeteria in the video overflow, we called it, than we had in the, in the main auditorium. Wow. And which was crazy. And so, and now this is like 2001. Yeah. And what happened was there was a group that came, they were driving about 45 minutes in from this suburb and farther Western suburb from where we were. And they said, you know, we're, we're late we're invariably late because we're driving from so far. We get here and we always end up in the video overflow. Is there some way we could just take this video and use it, <laughs> you know, in our town? And we thought it was a terrible idea. Like if you, you know, you hear Brooks talk about it at the time, it's like, this is a stupid idea. Like no one will watch video. And like, it's like a little bit of like, it's, it's like, I'm not even sure that this is a good idea biblically or philosophically. Like I'm, you know, like, I'm not sure that this is the kind of thing. Right. Right. We should do. And so, you know, basically Brux went to our denominational leaders uh, because, and, you know, he's joked over the years that, you know, you did what church leaders do when they get an idea that they think is a bad idea. They talk to the denomination about it because you're sure the denomination is going to say no, right? <laughs> right. And then, and then you can say to your people like, well, I tried, but but no, they right. validate my, my thinking on this. Exactly. Well, what had happened was they went to the bishop and the bishop 
um, said, well, it's so funny you say this because, you know, three months ago, we came with kind of our church planting group and we came and we were late and ended up in the video overflow and um, went out for lunch after. And this group got talking about saying, I wonder if there's a way for us to church plant somehow, some sort of church planting thing. They weren't even sure what to call it, wow. you know, half an hour away or, you know, somewhere else. And we said, let's pray about it for three months and see what happens. And now here you are um, <laughs> saying that there's this group and and this guy, Daryl, who's an incredible leader, um, said like that in that first meeting was like, we'll fund it. We'll give you money to make it happen. Wow. And so <laughs> it was like, oh no, now what are we going to do? Yeah. And, you know, the vision was, we did not know, this is before multi-site. This is before, like we, right. we like we did not know what this thing was. I still remember the, the commissioning Sunday was incredible. You know, it was, this was after Christmas, it was in January and we had said, we're going to do this thing. And we said, you know, let's launch on, on Easter Sunday. And so we had the guy who was going to be the first weekend. We didn't know this at the time, didn't have this title, but campus pastor. Right. And, you know, it was like one of those touching moments where you, you do the kind of um, commissioning, you know, you have to get everybody up on stage and pray for him mm -hmm. and like, hey, this is going to be great. And like, we would love to, you know, send you there if you're interested, that kind of thing. And then it's all done. And then for people who know Brux, this is classic Brux, but he, it was all done. And then, you know, touching moment. And then when it was done, this tells you how much we, this is how much, how we were, how committed to this were. We were done. And he's, he says, and if it doesn't work out, like we've got a job for him back here and like we can, <laughs> you know, it's going to be fine. <laughs> Which, which does tell you about what we thought about it. Like, it's like, I have no idea what that thing is. But also like reading the room as like, no one thinks this is going to work. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and, and we didn't like, we didn't know the language. Like we didn't, like, we didn't even know what to call it. We're like, it literally was that thing we're doing in Hamilton. Like wow. it was like, I don't know what that is. Like it was. And so it was in the first uh, six months that, you know, kind of spring um, literally made every mistake possible. Like it was a terrible location. The video video was brutal. We were, the way we would transport video was, um, so our services again were, so, you know, at that point, by that point, Brooks was down to about 45 minutes of teaching, but we, we did at nine o'clock and 11 o'clock. And so okay. it's a 45 minute drive to where we're going to. <laughs> and so what uh -huh. they did was one of our tech guys, like Jerry rigged his car with one of those blockbuster speed rewinder things. Remember they used to have those like, Oh, the VHS rewinders. You take your VHS, you put it in, you slam it down and it speed rewinds. Yes. He like wired, hot wired one of these into his car and what they would do. Like is, into the lighter? Yeah, into the lighter thing. Exactly. <laughs> and they would literally, the service would end at like 10, 15. The, they would literally eject the tape, walk over, hand it outside the door. He would jam it into the, the, the player and then he would burn down the highway. It would arrive basically as the service was starting. So the service would start, the band... <laughs> Would, start, would be playing already. They would go in the back and like... And no one had seen this video, no one right? had seen it. And so it's like, imagine what could go wrong with that. And so like, <laughs> there were weeks when, you know, Brux was green or orange and... <laughs> Right, of you course. Know, and then, the, you know, the, the rewinder would like over rewind and then it would get stuck and they, you know, all kinds of problems. Oh my gosh. And, and what are they watching it on? Are they watching it still on a TV, on a cart? So no, it was on a projector at that point. Okay. It was like, okay. you know, it was probably for tech folks, probably about a, a thousand Nancy Lumen, like a a, a, <laughs> a a fairly dull projector. You know, you kind of had to squint to see it. Cutting edge, cutting edge. Yeah, you, which, you, which was probably good because the video was so bad, you know, it was. And so, but the amazing thing after 
after all of that was, again, we didn't know what to call it. At the end of that first spring, they do a, a survey at the church. They survey everyone who's in the church. They take 10 minutes in the service. Mm-hmm. And I still remember that summer when we were crunching the numbers on, the, on it and leaned back and was like, oh my goodness, all the metrics that we cared about were actually better at that thing in Hamilton than in our our existing location. We had a higher percentage of people right? wow. who were unchurched folks. We had a higher percentage of people serving. The giving per person was higher. It was kind of like everything we were hoping for was was better there than than in our location. And so over that summer, we went from like, instead of saying, let's fight this thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to like, maybe we should figure it out. Like maybe we should go back and actually figure out what we're doing here. And so that kind of became my job. Um, so that's the summer of 2011 or 2001. Mm. And so Willow Creek launched their first campus on, on at 9-11. Actually, the Sunday after 9-11 was their first weekend. And so I remember wow. it was a couple weeks after that I had called who has become a, a friend of mine, Jim Tomberlin. And so I said to Jim, which at the time, again, this was a, this was a significant turning moment in my life. I explained who we were and he was chuckling and, and I said, and I kind of made this bold ask. I said, I want to come and spend a week with you. You don't need to like entertain me. I just, I, what I would love is if you could just line up a series of like your, what you do during the week, like Mm -hmm. every meeting, every, and I just want to sit in the back and I'll just take notes and I'll, I just want to learn from, from what you guys are doing. And, and so I literally spent a week at Willow and that has actually ended up blossoming into a really a lifelong friendship so far with Jim. And so, um, that was, it was, I, I was blown away because I found out that there were other churches doing this thing. And there was, there were these guys out somewhere out in the middle of the country with this guy with Craig with a very strange last name, Groeschel. I don't know who this guy is. And, <laughs> and there was like this, you know, somewhere in DC, Mark, I don't know, Batterson or something like that. And like all these guys who, it was before they became who they became, right? Um, were trying this thing. And so at the time there were 12 churches, which was crazy. Like, I'm like, I can't believe that there's 12 churches. Like this is, right. it seems, you know, unbelievable. And so, you know, and I count that a privilege that I, you know, the, now they say there's 5 million people every weekend that attend a multi-site church. Wow. You, know, you know, in America, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's a thousand multi-site churches in the country. Um, you know, it's, it's had a profound impact. And for whatever reason, we just happened to kind of stumble into it. And, um, you know, I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity to, to kind of be there and to see it all. And, and, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the early days how, and it was, I would say it wasn't until around then that I started to see, Oh, like, so now I'm like later 20s, right? 26, 27. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like maybe there's an opportunity here for me because I have this kind of marketing bent, growth bent sure. um, to use that in the church. And it was like welcomed. It wasn't seen as like, right. you're strange and bizarre. It's like, no, like you could actually use some of that. And, and you know, like there was a guy at Willow who, and I forget his name. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. But there was a guy in their staff who literally was a nuclear engineer before he started working at Willow. <laughs> he, his job was was um, was actually the onboarding of nuclear um, plants. Like that's what he did. And so he, I remember thinking like that was a revelation to interact with this guy because I was like, wait a second, he's using these amazing skills that he's had yeah. uh, to then you know start campuses. Like wow, that's crazy. 
And so learned a ton from him and, um, and that, you know, that really ended up impacting really the trajectory of my entire ministry the last 20 years. It's interesting to think of the genesis of this story, because there's a lot of, I would say some debate about multi-site, about the motivations, about why you would go to multi-site instead of church planting. Absolutely. And so the thought of just the genesis of this was really just an outflow of people who were just driving too far and said, Hey, can we just, can we just get the video? Absolutely. And it just became this just organic thing. It wasn't about control. It wasn't about, you know, any of that stuff. No. Well, and that was uh, that, that first group of 12, like when you went around the circle, like I remember early on, I was in this meeting with Craig Groeschel. And again, this was before he was Craig Groeschel. And I remember just hearing the story and I remember saying to him like, dude, that's like the same thing that's happened at our church. Like yeah. we didn't get into this because we think this is a great idea. Like it was, right. it, it was like, we kind of backed into it and early on Willow was the same way. Now they were a bit more on the, you know, a bit more strategic and it's like classic, like Willow, like world, they had a bit more of the kind of world domination thinking right. going on than, than, than we did for sure. Um, but when you talked around the circle, everybody was like this, we're just kind of trying to deal with growth. And then, you know, I think we, we have backed into like, oh, wow, this is a great way, an efficient way to reach a lot of people. Yeah. And I think, and there have been lots of folks kind of tongue in cheek that have read I think have read a lot more strategy back into it than actually what was happening. <laughs> right. You know, that it was just trying to deal with it. And then, and then eventually you start realizing, oh no, this is actually great. Um, but it wasn't, that, that wasn't that way at all at the time. Right. You, you guys were thinking this was a terrible idea at the time. We did. Well, and that, and that is legit. Like they're the heroes of the story really are all these volunteers. They, all these folks who early on, it wasn't staff, it wasn't elders. It was people who saw a need and were like, Hey, can you help us with this? And we were like, we actually were dragged into it. And then, you know, that eventually changed once you start seeing like, oh, wait a second here, there, there seems to be something here. We came through that next fall and we said, you know, we think God's asking us to launch one campus a year uh -huh. for the next five years. We think that's what God's calling us. When I look back at that, like we had no business making that. Like we, we didn't know anything. Right. Like, we had no clue, a sweet clue what we were doing. There was no model. There was no, no like no. blueprint. We didn't know anything. No, 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 no. We didn't know, like, we didn't know what we didn't know. Now, the amazing thing is they've ended up doing 19 campuses. They're at 19, wow. 20. So they've actually kept up more than one a year of that pace over all these years. And they're still using VHS tape? And they're still using VHS tapes. It's amazing. <laughs> they still have that same car. <laughs> So Rich, I got to ask you a question because there's so many people that would have been in that situation that saw the second campus as like, okay, great, we've done it. Um, but there's something about you, something about way, the way your mind works, you know, how you grew up that made you think, well, no, one extra campus is not the goal. Like we have to figure out the system to scale this, to do this painlessly, you know, many, many times over. Why is that? Well, so Bruxy KV, who is our lead pastor at the time, he is a great communicator, is a great thinker, and he often even at the time would talk about, you know, time is short. We've got to make use of the time we've been given, right? Like we, mm. God's only put us here for a certain amount of time. And how do we, you know, leverage that time? How do we make kind of the best use of that time? And so, you know, and I was definitely impacted by that thinking like, oh, wow, like that's true. Like we, we've been given something here that seems to be different. You know, it's so funny because early on <laughs> questions of like church planning versus campuses, like that has, right. I've had that conversation hundreds of times. <laughs> 
And even way back then at that point, there were people were asking that question. And I used to always say, listen, we're not church planning. Church planners are heroes. What we're doing is something different, but we're reaching people. And so yeah. why don't we try to just keep trying to do that? And and so, you know, I think for me, it, it would get back to kind of an evangelical impulse around like, I think we should try to do what we can to reach people. And I, you know, I've had the honor of working for um, really great communicators who at my core, I'm like, I just want more people to hear them. Like, I think, yeah. you know, if you could get, if I could get 10,000 people in front of Bruxy, that would be great. If I could get 100,000, that would be more than 10 times great. Like, it's the <laughs> same with Tim, Tim Lucas. Like, I think Tim's an incredible communicator, right. you know, from Liquid. I think Carrie Newhoff's an incredible communicator. And so there's like a little bit of that, like, I can't do that. But what I can do is try to organize to get people in front of them. You know, I think I've been influenced by my dad around, you know, systems thinking and, sure. you know, had kind of those business books floating in the back of my head and, you know, knew about like, you know, execution and all that stuff. And so I think some of that was unique at the time. It's not as unique now, but it was more unique then. Sure. Did you have any moments where you just kind of stopped and thought about those 600 kids that you got to that youth event at your first church mm -hmm. and this juxtaposition with you bringing thousands of people through these campuses and just seeing how almost like this moment of confirmation from God of like, you are being used because the 600 kids, you kind of got your hand slapped and yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of was like, you know, left your head spinning a little bit. But now the same gifts are now being sort of confirmed that you you have a place here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're, when, you know, you're in your twenties, there's a lot of insecurity, right? There's a lot of like, I don't know, like, what am I, who am I? all that kind of stuff. Right. By the time I hit 30, let's say I was like, oh, like I think actually God can use this. I think it has always dogged me. I think there has always been, you know, there's this like niggling thing in the back of my head where I'm like, oh, you're not like a real pastor. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was that board member. It's the board member's voice. It is. It is. There is some of that. The tiger by the tail. Yeah, yeah. I think there is some of that still in there, right? Like if I'm honest, right, there are times where, you know, I'm like, I don't know. Like I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. And so, yeah, I think there's there is, I have definitely felt like, I would say thankful that I've been able to use, you know, my unique skill set to serve in a, you know, in a lot of very innovative churches and have, have felt very thankful. I have been in a very strange spot where I know that, and I don't take this for granted. I know that I've had the opportunity to do things that and, and see things happen in churches that lots of people only ever see once, but I've been able to see it multiple times. Like there are, yeah. you know, there are folks that call themselves church planters yeah. and they plant a church. Like, you know, I have a friend, Peter Goeski, right? He's planted a church. Right. That will probably be the last church that Peter ever plants, right? Like he's right. unlikely to do that again. Well, that's the goal, right? That's the hope, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's kind of the point where, you know, I've had a chance to do it 13 times. Like that's wow. 13 opening days, you know, 1500 different volunteers to, on those teams. Like, that's a really unique experience. I, I get that. And, and I feel mostly thankful for that. Like, wow, that's great. And, you know, I've joked over the years, you know, when I've been in that process, I'm like, listen, we're going to hire like a real pastor who will like <laughs> actually care for you and, you know, that will love you and all that. And like, I just really want to get this thing open. And so, you know, it, it has been an interesting journey on that front. And you've used that experience, you know, through this podcast of yours, mm -hmm. right? You've used that experience to help and teach so many others. Was that the goal? Yeah. So I think somewhere in there, this idea took root that, 
I think I'm more useful to the kingdom of Christ in training, equipping leaders, working, and like there's like a leverage factor there, right? Like I can use my gifts to help other leaders, you know, really see their ministries flourish. Like in a very real way, the bulk of my ministry has been serving with these three lead pastors, Bruxy, Carrie, Tim. And, you know, really what I've done in though over those that time has consistently said to them, you keep preaching, let me figure out how we get more people here. Yeah. Like you keep doing your thing. I just have always say to those guys, just preach the best message you can. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't have opinions on that front, but I just feel like God's called them to do that and you should do that. Where, you know, I think my piece of the puzzle has been all that other stuff. And so some of that naturally translates into then helping other church leaders, equipping and developing. And because there's like this thin slice piece that I feel like I can offer. And if you can kind of pack that in a way that helps and can kind of leverage out to other folks, then there could be a, you know, a potential long-term impact in a bunch of different churches. Mm. Yeah, I think that somehow, somewhere in there, the idea of helping other church leaders kind of became a part of what I saw myself doing, partly because I realized, oh, like that's kind of what I'm doing now. And there's probably some of that that I could export. I don't actually have to be sitting in the office next door. I could export some of that and maybe help some more people. For someone who thinks so much about the church and and has had such tremendous success planting churches and launching churches, you're no longer employed at a church. I know. Super weird turn of events. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. So I, two years ago, um, ended up taking a a role. My kind of primary gig in life is executive director of this Christian camp. And so this camp, when I was in high school, it gets back to actually the moving around thing with my dad. My parents, at that very first church that I was at, that, that first Presbyterian church, this couple came to us and said, Said, hey, you should send your son up to this camp. And so this is like when I'm in, you know, grade nine and said, you should send them to this camp. And I don't, still don't know why they didn't send my brother because I've got a brother, but they, for some reason... <laughs> And didn't send my brother. And so he must have been... I they liked know, being around your brother for the summer. It, it could have been that. We, my brother and I have this ongoing good, <laughs> good son, bad son thing. And that does fit into that narrative. So what started as, I just love going there. It's a beautiful facility. It's like in this region of Canada called Muskoka, which is just it's a really nice area and all that. But then really the magic of this organization is the way it develops young leaders. And so mm. early on, like I'm 16, 17, you know, getting developed and given a lot of responsibility. And I didn't really appreciate this at the time, but like as an 18, 19 year old, I was given more responsibility. I was a peer leader at 18, 19, where, you know, there's a lot of my peers who didn't get that same experience until they're 35. Like, right. you know, 15 years later, they're, they're like, I'm like, yeah. you know, running team meetings, talking about evaluations, you know, doing all this stuff, which at the time was just what you did because you had to run camp, you know, coming up with program, all of that. Um, and it had a huge influence on, on my life. Yeah. Now, again, connected to the move around thing, I I think there what a part of what happened was because my parents kept moving but I would go back to camp in the summer so even though we would live somewhere different I would end up back at the same camp and so it had a there was a heart impact in my life mm. where it was like oh this in some sort of way felt like home and the friendships that we developed there really still to this day ended up being kind of lifelong friends. Well, two years ago, my predecessor had been at camp for 22 years and he ended up in an accident and basically was unable to return to work after that experience, unfortunately. Mm. Great guy. And so the the chair of our board reached out to me and 
um, who's a you know good friend, and a conversation started with, "Hey, what would you do in my place?" Like this is kind of the scenario, and then that morphed into like, "You should come here and work here." <laughs> and now the same thing happened when I went to Liquid. That conversation started the same way. They're like, "I was coaching there," but they said, "Hey, you should come here," and I'm like, "No, I've been to New Jersey. I don't want to move to New Jersey. <laughs> like, I've I've seen Newark. I don't need to live anywhere near here." <laughs> you know, I ended up living there and loved it. Loved New Jersey. I thought I was going to retire there. I thought, well, I would retire in New Jersey and then move to Florida. That's what- That's the plan. So then it kind of, the conversation morphed to this idea of like, hey, why don't you come and do this? And I'm like, I'm, I don't know what I philosophically think about the parachurch. I don't know what I, I'm such a local church guy. I'm not so sure about that, right. but believe fundamentally in the mission of developing young leaders. Like I, our mission is to develop tomorrow's leaders through life-changing adventure in God's creation. And I totally buy that. And one of the problems that I know in the local church that we run into all the time is leaders. Like, you know, all those campuses we've ever launched all the time, we were out, where do we find leaders? Where do we find leaders? Right, right. Who, where is the pipeline that is developing next generation leaders? And, you know, Minioe, the organization I've been a part of is is doing that. And so I've been, have been captivated by that. And so came here two years ago, kind of took that on, which has also, also allowed me, it's given more flexibility for me to do the unseminary stuff. Yeah. And so where, you know, when I was working in a local church, I could only be away maybe one one or two weekends a year. I had committed to my, you know, the guys I was leading the church with that I would only be away one day a month. And so, you know, it was, it, this gives me more flexibility to do that. And so that has kind of taken off, like that unseminary stuff has grown, yeah. which has been a weird kind of turn of events and has given me an opportunity actually to interact with more church leaders from more locations, um, which has also been, you know, super positive. So, so Rich, you wrote this book recently about church growth uh, called Church Growth Flywheel. Um, why did you write it? What does it say? Why should we read it? Oh, thanks. That's a great, great question. So I, as a leader, one of my convictions is that there isn't a silver bullet towards growth. It's not one thing. It's it's a whole bunch of things. Now we're looking for the silver bullet. We all want the like, <laughs> right, if right. I just do this one thing, is it just Facebook ads or like, do I just take a radio <laughs> ad out and then that will work? Like, but it's not that, it's a bunch of things. And so when I was a kid growing up, there was this merry-go-round at my park and you put one foot on the ground and one foot on the, the disc and you push it around. Right. And that first push is like so much work. You can't believe, you know, how much work that first one is. And then the second push is a little bit less. And the third push yeah. is a little bit less, is a little bit less. And then what happens is somewhere you go from pushing hard to hardly pushing. And, you know, in the same way, I think church growth mm. is that. It's this, you know, it's a number of things done. It's repeated processes over and over and over where to the point where you go from, you know, pushing hard to hardly pushing. And so one of the things, Liquid was was flagged as one of the fastest growing churches in the country. They've now been on that list twice. And yeah. Um, one of my convictions is that it's a number of things working together that bring us to that point. And so what the book tries to do is not only from, um, you know, experience at Liquid kind of firsthand, but then also, you know, interacting with other churches, trying to find out, okay, what is it that, that you know, that seems to work? What is it that God seems to be using to, you know, help churches uh, reach more people? And so that's what it is. It's a, it's a, um, it's kind of a, it's a discussion of, of what those, and I talk about these five different things that I think are, um, you you know, super important. The problem with it, I, I was thinking about calling in the, the book a thousand days to a bigger church. Um, but I knew no one would buy that book because they're <laughs> like, I don't want to wait a thousand days. Right. I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now the listeners of this podcast, of course they would, because they're measured and disciplined and good Christians. <laughs> 
but not most church leaders wouldn't. And what it does is it talks about things that like, hey, if you do these things, but it's like, you got to do them for years. Like it's not just, it's not just one day kind of thing. And so, and and that's really what it's about. And so it's, and I've been super humbled by the response from it. A lot of times they say, you know, you write, you write books for yourself, right? It's like in in some ways you're Mm -hmm. pulling this together and saying, hey, there's, here are some ideas, but then it's been, it's been humbling. Like the response in church has been amazing and the difference it's made in church has been amazing. You hear all kinds of great stories. And so um, it, it kind of takes on a life of its own once you release it out there into the world. So would it be fair to say that the silver bullet for church growth is to buy your book? Oh, absolutely. That's the one thing. <laughs> the one thing you need to know is just buy this book. <laughs> That's right. No, I don't. It's fine. Actually, if you go to churchgrowthflywheel.com forward slash Richard, our wonderful host, uh, I don't want you to buy the book, but if you go there, uh, I will get you the first chapter of the book for free. So you don't- Oh, come on. And it basically tells you the whole book. Like you're like, you you know, you can read that and you're like, okay. And then the rest of it just is like that plus more. Um, so yeah, if you just go there and, and grab that, you can, because you don't, I don't, you don't, I don't need you to buy it. It's, it's fine. But if you want to, you can. You but. should definitely buy the book. Oh, okay, sure. Definitely buy the book. Sure. Okay. <laughs> In some ways, Rich was a man before his time. He had marketing gifts before the church even knew what those were. And he had a brain for scaling the multi-site movement before anybody was even calling it that. But it all really started with him just bringing his gifts to the church and saying, how can I help? And now he's been a part of dozens of church plants, which are reaching thousands and thousands of people. He's launching podcasts and he's writing books. He's helping lead the church, or really helping leaders lead the church to reach people for Christ that have never been reached before. You can find Rich on Twitter, at Rich Birch, and you should listen to the Unseminary podcast and subscribe. I will leave links to all of that and to Rich's books and to the free chapter that he offered to us in the show notes, so check that out. Thanks so much for listening to The Pursuit. I've gotten so much great feedback from all of you subscribers. Thank you so much. You are the reason why I started this podcast. You can find us on social at The Pursuit Cast. And congratulations to Parasite winning Best Picture. Just got to say. Now, as we go, remember, you may not know where your journey ends, but you can find God all along the path. like, oh, I really love the podcast or I really love the book. And I'm like, you and my mom. I always wondered who was the other person. And now I've met them.